This is the Mark D Show, hosted by a guy who played a decent game of Big Brother. Now here he is, Mark of BBCan7. Hey, oh, it's Mark. Welcome back to another episode of the Mark D Show. In the last episode, I talked a bit about where I went wrong in my game and some of the things that I thought as a player I could have done better. Now on this episode, we're joined with John Party, the winner of Big Brother Canada season two, and we're going to discuss from a winner's perspective what does it take to win Big Brother. So uh, I'm just going to start off with the first question. The first question is: You're now a coach, and I'm walking into the Big Brother house not as a returning player. I'm a new player. You've already played the game, and you already know what it's like to win the game. So what advice, right off the hop, do you have for me to make sure I have a good standing in the house? My Advice would be speak your mind, but don't be outspoken. Be remembered, but never be the most memorable. And your social game is what's going to win you, Big Brother. I like what you said there. You brought up a really good point because watching BB Can 2, I noticed you had a very safe middle spot throughout the game. I mean, Kenny and Andrew were obviously like the top dogs. And then uh, there were a bunch of people kind of meddling around towards the middle slash bottom. And you just sort of kind of... We're there, but like not too out there. Now, in the beginning, what was your relationship like with every single player? I want to say in the first two weeks in the Big Brother house. I think in the first two weeks, I had a good relationship with literally everybody in the house. Um, those first two weeks are crucial uh, moving forward in the game to formulate those base connections, those real friendships that can ultimately get you out of a pickle later in the game. You need to form alliances or you need to form an alliance in those first two weeks or at least have a core of people that you're working with, but never exclude the rest of the house. There's never going to be a time where your alliance is going to be 100% safe 100% of the time. It's never going to happen. Eventually, there's going to be some turmoil. Something's going to go wrong. Your life is going to be on the line. That's where your other connections come in. You never shun anyone in the house. You never burn bridges. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. You know, you stick with your core and you're like, who everyone else? And it's like, no, eventually that everyone else will be in power and you're going to make sure you have a strong enough connection with the other side of the house. Although it might not be a strong, strong connection, you need to make sure it's strong enough that when they come looking to take a shot at your side, you're not the first one in mind. Okay. So it's interesting that you brought this up because I was talking about this on the last podcast and I was saying that in my game, exactly what you were saying. I was solidifying my strengths with the pretty boys and my alliance and not really like putting a lot of effort into solidifying something with the other house guests. But what I have my question for you now is what about Arlie? Because I feel like Arlie was doing something like that as well. Was that something you were picking up on and then you realized, okay, well, he's basically playing the same game I am and now I need to just take him out before he takes me out? Yeah, Arlie was definitely a far more aggressive, um, Dr. Evil kind of style in the beginning than I was. We both had very base similarities to our game, but he definitely went above um, what I was doing. And I think that kind of came back and bit him in the ass. He was definitely trying to play both sides. And I think when he got in trouble is when his side started to complete and we felt him kind of starting to... Well, I guess, conspire against them. And then we were like, wait a second. 
you were telling us you were with us the whole time. There's a few moves that probably like don't line up with what you're saying, and now you're just going to flip on that whole thing and come over with us, and everything's going to be all honky-dory, and we're all going to march to the end together, and it's going to be such beautiful thing. And it's just like, that doesn't really make any sense, because it's like, we just saw what you did, how greasy that was to the first five. That's dismantled, and now you're jumping ship to go and be like, yeah, I was with you guys the whole time. You guys were my number one. There's a lot of stuff I think he held on to too much, and there's a lot of stuff he gave away too much to our side of the house. You said in your first two weeks you had relationships that you were forming with the whole house and you had good relationships. What kind of conversations were you having with people? Majority was completely non-game related. Me and Kenny, you know, bonded over Newfoundland. Me and Andrew bonded over beer. I let a Nick talk about her Sensi and her crystals, even though I have no interest in it whatsoever. I found things in these people personally to connect with completely outside of the game. People don't leave their emotions at the door in Big Brother. So if you're going to be someone who is going to leave their emotions at the door, you can pull on those heartstrings fairly easily. That's what you have to do. It's a, it's a game of connection. It's a social game. And ultimately, if you are talking to people about the game, it's going to get their heads straight. Everyone wants to escape from that game when they're in the house. After day two, everyone's like, oh, my God, you want to find an escape for that game. And how powerful is it to have someone you can talk about hockey with, that you can talk about basketball with you can talk about anything that you're interested in and big brother is a game of listening you need to listen you need to find out what people want you need to find out what they like that's when you attack so in coaching method here i'm in this game and i'm doing that but how am how are you doing it where people aren't starting to pick up on hey you know what's weird if anybody won nobody would put up john how odd is that i think if you're doing it right there does come a point in the game where people are like wait a second there's eight of us left, and every single one of us are super cool with John, because normally that doesn't happen. To me, your social game, it will get you to the end. It's a massive part of your social game. You'll never get to the point of having to win out. You'll never get to that point, I don't think, without a good social game. The thing for me is talking about me coaching someone. I would say make sure that you, again, have your core, and that's your strongest. Make sure you're putting more time into your core and a little lesser time into the other side of the house. So if you're ever that, you can always be like, yo, like, this is my core, like, this is who I like roll with. And they'd be like, well, you said this like one day. I'm like, yeah, that's one day. Like, shut up, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that because for the Pretty Boys and our alliance, it was for the first half of the game, we literally just never talked to each other. Although I will say we did win virtually everything. Yeah, you guys were, you go, well, again, like the most dominant that I've ever seen play the game was, was you four. And I think it was uh, super amazing to watch as maybe not so much from a fan perspective, but as someone who's played the game, respecting what you guys were doing day in, day out, week in, week out. Um, I loved it. You, you all knew there was going to come a time when things had to get a little tangly. Yeah. You guys knew that was always coming. So then I think that's when you need to start branching a little bit more. When it comes to that time, you're like, oh, fuck, like that, that battle time is coming. That battle royale between four of us is coming. That's when your other connections come in more than anything else. One thing we spoke about in the last podcast was, and this was one of my biggest mistakes, was having those one-off conversations, quick reassurances, and moving on. You can't just have one conversation and expect everything to be kumbaya. 
Yeah, there's no way. Well, no one's going to believe. It's Big Brother. No one's going to believe you off one conversation anyway. And your little one tidbit is going to be so minute if someone else is putting in five tidbits, ten tidbits. So it's not going to be if you're just coming like, yo, we good? And like, yup. And then you're like, that's your conversation. You assume they're good. Most of the time, that's usually not going to be good. You can correct me if I'm wrong here. If you have to start asking for reassurances, that's already a bad place to start. You've got to trust your gut. And that was the biggest thing with me was with Netta, I started to feel a disconnect. I started to feel a little bit like, oh, shit, like this isn't a two-person game. We're riding right now, but there will be a point where we are not going to ride together and one of us will win. When I started asking her for reassurance, she literally could not give it to me. Okay, so this is where you started to pick up and you're like, John's got to play for John and only this, John. Yeah, that's when she like back to began too. When like I'm out in the rain, like got the jacket over, just out by myself in the hot tub. The rain's coming down, I'm sipping on coffee. That was when I was like, I kind of lost track. Like, wow, it's been a two person game. Like we've played together thus far. Now there's three weeks left, and it's time to really take matters into my own hands and start making moves that 100 percent benefit me without the thought of my alliance at all. So we've gone from. The beginning of the game, we've done the first two weeks, crucial to have a social game. Now we're in mid-game where, you know, there's like the nine, eight players left. What are you doing now? Because at this point, at least the way I played the game is the sides are very clearly drawn. Yeah, People see exactly where everyone lies. The whole, hey, let's chat hockey for 20 minutes in uh, the pantry is over. If you talk for more than one minute with somebody in the courtyard, it's all game. It's all game. Trouble. So you know exactly where we're coming from here. Uh, So you're the coach here. I'm still in the game. Been socializing right. What am I doing now? Your social games probably got you this far. If you're not on anyone's radar, if you don't feel like you're going to be next to go, then I still would refrain from beasting out and holding a lot of direct power. On the other hand, if you're starting to get a little bit of hot water, I would say this is a point where you really got to turn it on. You really need to solidify uh, connections with other players, but now you need to start winning competitions, especially for guys like me and you. There's going to come a point in time where we need to win to stay. So I think the midpoint is kind of where that heats up. Depends where you're sitting. If you're still sitting okay, like final nine, there still should be a few big boys left or some big threats or some house headbutting that are going to go after each other. Like I'll never forget like when Adele won power and went after Sabrina. Doesn't make any sense. He just really didn't like Sabrina. And we all knew that. We knew if Adele won or Sabrina won, that's what was going to happen. So that was another cushion too where a lot of the X, Ys, and Zs lined up for me in my season so it looks like that keep laying back until you your back's against the wall and you need to fight how are you socializing though at this point because like i said if you do go and talk to somebody right away they're gonna think oh boom they're talking game i don't trust this guy what are you doing at this point I did a lot more group talks. I I made sure that if I was talking with someone, there was always one or two other people around. So it would never be like, John's talking to these three people. Well, yeah, that's half the house. Like, you you know what I mean? That's not scheming. That's just people hanging out. There's nothing more to do. And again, even in those conversations, you're always listening, always trying to find something you can use against your other contestants. Use against or manipulate or expose. You're always waiting for that. I'll never forget the explosion of the first five. When, like, Sabrina, she was, I was like, didn't you have a full clue the first five was still going on? I was like, why didn't you tell me about the first five? And she was like, how do you know about that? And I was like, I didn't. You just told me. 
<laughs> like you, you know what I mean? So it's little things like that. By just talking, so much comes out if you're actually listening. So I'd say keep listening in the mid-stages. Don't go power trip. Don't hold a lot of power in your hands directly if you don't need to. But it's going to come to a point soon when you're going to have to win competitions, add to your resume, and uh, start making some moves. This is a very important point that you brought out, John, because one of my biggest flaws was having those one-on-one conversations. Never could be found in a group, which is really bad. Super, super bad. Definitely. (laughs) I would advise against that. (laughs) If you're listening right now, if you have any hope of winning Big Brother, don't expect an alliance to carry you along. Okay. And if you do want to make it to All-Stars, damn right, have those group conversations. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right, John. Now here's a curveball for you. I'm having a great social game. I get put up on the block. They're doing the whole song and dance of, oh, you're just a pawn. But, you know, between you, me, the lighthouse and all of Canada, it's looking like I'm the threat. What kind of game are you going at right now? If you're on the block, never assume you're the pawn, no matter what. If you're on the block... You're in trouble. Your life is on the line. Do whatever you can to get yourself off. I don't care if you got to go against the whole house. If they're like, don't win the video. If you got to win the video, everyone's going to be pissed off. Who cares? Do damage control. Just get your ass off that block. To be a bit more specific, so you're on the block. Let's say a random bozo wins the veto, and now you and the same person are still on the block. You've tried all you can. They're not budging. They're you know sucking up to the HOH, and it's going to be set in stone that it's you two going into Thursday night eviction. What are you saying? What are you doing? Are you throwing the person next to you on? the bus that's interesting mark i've i've never been in that position i and uh, you know what it's not a position i hope you ever should experience so not entirely sure but um, as somebody who won the game and would possibly maybe at one point coach someone who's doing that what would you expect them to do and let's put it this way let's say you were put in that position and you're like i am you know what we're gonna say this you are put up on the block by Adele, uh, yeah. and next to uh, who is still a Heather. All right, let's be real, buddy. <laughs> You're the uh... yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, there you need to. I think a lot of people too. Once the HOH and stuff makes their uh, decisions, boom, that's final. People go to sign up to the HOH. Screw the HOH. The HOH is one vote right now. Who cares? Your job is done. You're on the block. Whatever. The HOH has no power right now besides one vote. The person you're sitting on the block next to is your only enemy. Your only person you should be focused on right now is them. You need to make sure to the rest of the house that they're going home and not you. I don't care if it's your best friend sitting next to you, if it's your brother, your mom, your dad, your sister. They are your mortal enemy, and you need to do everything in your power to make sure they go home and not you. Now, where that comes in, I think, are these group conversations and connections that you've made earlier in the house. You're going to be in a lot of tough spots sometimes if it's a big dog with someone who is actually probably going to get second place. My advice would be never lay down, always fight. Whatever you have against them or anything you can blow up regards to their game, do it. And if it's going to blow up your game a little bit, but their game far more, do it. We were talking about this. This is one of the things I wish I had done on my last time on the block against Dane, where I started to notice that Anthony was acting all fishy towards the second half of the week, you know, and I was like, just trying to push those thoughts to the side. And when I found out the last day that for sure Anthony's voting against me, really what I should have done is just blown up Anthony hard. Oh, and I just... would have blown it up. Exactly. Blown it up. And... Get, it, get it off. I would have blown it up with making a connection between him and Dane. 
Yeah. Blow up Anthony's game, but make sure Gaines is blown up as well alongside it. Correct. And then that's when you're like, screw the pretty boys. Mark's a lone ranger. We're going to win out. Let's fucking tango. But unfortunately, this cannot happen. Couldn't cut up a rug, and there was no dancing. There was. <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, it's, it's, it's been a ride, I'll tell you that. Uh, okay. I hear you, man. So, all right, I've gotten off the block, and now we're creeping up into endgame. At this point, do you feel like it's everybody for themselves, or what kind of game are you playing? I feel like the most intense game took place at the very end. Well, of course. That's, it's a game that that's been, was the funnest for me was those last two or three weeks. Uh, well, winning out helps that as well. When you're getting down to the nitty-gritty, you need to have power. You need to have the hardware in order to keep yourself safe. At that point, you can't rely on anyone else to keep you safe but yourself. You need to put in the work. You need to have the results. You reap the benefits. Here's a question for you because you were winning out at the end. People obviously know like when we get to final five that you are the top dog, right? Most likely you win virtually against almost everyone. Yeah. What kind of conversations are you having where, okay, just in case Adele wins, I need to make sure that I'm with him too? I ensure that I kept throwing gasoline on the fire between him and Sabrina to ensure that if Adele won, it was going to be a strictly and straight emotional move by him. We knew how emotional Adele was, and we knew his distaste for Sabrina in the house. So we knew that we were almost safe. I don't even know if Sabrina had it in her to not take a shot at Adele if she had won late in the game. So we knew that connection was there. So I wasn't really worried about those two. The person I was worried about most was Heather. Me and Heather had a good relationship. But I also knew she had a very strong relationship with Netta as well. And that was my biggest fear. Like when she went deeper, me and her uh, battled in like, I think it was an HOH later on in the season, that rope one in the water yeah. where she like bossed out. And I was like, oh my God, like if she wins this, I'm, that was the first time when I was like, I might be in a little bit of trouble here if she wins HOH. She was the only wild card for me, and I still think I had a great relationship and still think I could have used a relationship me and her had earlier in the game to persuade her to keep me over Netta. Right. I find that you can't start doing the work once the person's already won the HOH. Impossible. That's what a lot of people do. It's so fake. That's why I, I love the Pretty Boys so much was we formed the alliance before the HOH even started. I love it. Yeah, like within minutes of walking in the house, boom, done, let's do this. The question here is, is that like a strategy you would sort of suggest that any person walking in the house should look for beef that naturally happens between two different house guests and keep pouring gasoline on it? 100%. Like I said, people don't leave their emotions at the door. People hold grudges and things get skewed in their own mind because of how intensified emotions are in that house. If you don't like someone, you really don't like someone. You like someone, you might even love them. You know what I mean? Like, who the heck knows what's going through people's heads in that game? All we know, it's super intensified. So I definitely found, I don't ever forget, like, a lot of the fights between Sabrina and Adele, I would start. I'd throw out a comment or be like, Sabrina, how do you feel about this? Knowing her response is going to piss Adele off. Knowing that. We did that multiple times throughout the season. <laughs> and this was all game, right? All game. Every single slight entertainment as well, but mostly game. <laughs> <laughs> mostly? And then towards the end of the game, then it's just for pure sadistic pleasure. That's it. Then it was like, when, when, like it was getting to the end and we knew it was going to happen. Anyway, I was like, oh, let's just fire it up. It's Tuesday. We're bored. I feel like a Final Five, that's where, well, Final Five, Final Four, that, that ultimate veto, that's where things get really nitty gritty. And then once you're there, was there, this is always the big question I have to ask. I think I asked you this before. Uh, I think we were in Vegas and I was kind of drunk, but I don't remember the yeah. answer. Uh, was there any chance you could have taken Netta or it was just I needed to really secure the win here? 
Uh, there, there was no chance. I know a lot of people talk about, um, oh, like take the best, take the best final two. Why would you ever do that? Why would you? Why would you spend your entire game trying to get rid of the best so you win? Trying to get rid of the best. You've already beat the best. You like if you think someone's the best, sending them home at final three is beating the best. You beat them. You sent them home. You didn't give them a chance to beat you. You beat them. It's over. Story's written. My question is about jury management, because that's one thing I really forgot about. That's one thing I feel like Dane in my season really shined at. What is your idea for uh, good jury management? Uh, make sure no one's walking out of there flipping you off. Make sure they know that you weren't the number one hand in their demise, but you had a hand in it. Know your jury, too. You spend weeks and weeks in the house. Are they going to be bitter? Are they really going to care? about like, what, what, do, what does your... You need to know your jury. So you need to know what your jury is going to consider the best game. And you also need to consider if you're sending home a lot of your jury, are they going to respect that? Or is that really going to piss them off saying there's a jury where you cannot win? So I think jury management is important. But I think jurors, on the other hand, as well, have a responsibility to not vote with their emotions and look at the game as a whole, social, comp wins, everything that goes into being a winner of Big Brother Canada, you need to see who played the most and best well-rounded game of Big Brother. So I think it's almost jury management, yes, important, but I think being a juror is also important too. What did you do specifically, John, that ensured that jury still loved you even when it came down to voting time. I feel like, obviously, with you versus Sabrina, a lot of people felt, obviously, okay, you were the winner. Um, I think it was, what, 6-1 or? Yeah, 6-1. It was supposed to be 7, but whatever. What were you doing, John, when people were being sent off to jury? People pretty much knew that their game was over. How were you sending them off, killing them with kindness, if you will? I think that's exactly what it was, Mark. It was killing them with kindness. It was letting them know that you had to make them feel like this was the hardest decision you have ever made, that your world is completely destroyed because you have to send them home, that like you can't believe you're doing this. You feel so bad. A lot of the times, people were leaving in my season, like, hey, John, like, don't worry about it, man. Like, I know you're down. Like, I really feel, you know, this is what you had to do for your game, and I respect that. I was like, man, but like, it sucks. We're such, like, we're best bros. Like, well, I was your bros. I promise you after this game, like, it's, this is all game. I wasn't talking smack with you at all with the R. Like, it was just me and you. And like, most people felt bad for me having to make the decision as opposed to me feeling bad for actually having to make the decision. <laughs> That's beautifully twisted, man. I like it. I like it. It makes me smile. We're going to wrap things up right over here. Uh, thank you, John, for joining us on the Mark D Show. Coming up on the next episode, we're going to talk to another winner of Big Brother Canada, and we're going to find out how they saw the game and what it took for them to secure the win. In the meantime, follow me on my socials for updates and all that fun jazz. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, The Mark D Show. Cool, cool? Sweet cheese. I'll see you in a bit.